0: Welcome to the discussion how a multi-cloud approach can help agencies meet the mission. Sponsored by Ironbow Technologies, Dell Technologies, Intel Corporation, and VMware. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin.
1: Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Brian Merrick, the Director of Cloud Program Management Office at the State Department. Rocky Campioni, the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Energy. Jamie Holcomb is the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Troy Massey, Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies, and Melvin Greer, the Chief Data Scientist of the Americas at Intel Corporation. Good to have you all along this morning. And we're going to talk about cloud and applications and the architecture and how this is all best set up in the environment we're living in these days. The cloud smart strategy has taken hold across the government, and so that's really gotten questions out of how to position your applications, where to position your data, and so on for performance and for redundancy and all those good things. So why don't we start with the government people, maybe we'll start with you, Rocky, and simply tell us how you are getting to the cloud smart strategy and some of the steps you're taking technically with applications, data, and all
2: of that. Rocky? Yeah, no, thanks, Tom. Um, Yeah, Department of Energy, we uh, have been moving to the cloud for years. Um, You know, starting, I wanna say back in 2009, Uh, one of our national labs i think was the first to go to google for um, g suite Um, but over the years we've moved a number of other applications into the amazon microsoft google or um, and other environments Um, uh, with the national lab system that all kind of runs independently everyone's taking a little different approach but holistically what we want to look at is what makes sense to put there what, and what, the t- what timing makes sense to move things there. So if we just updated, updated something on premises a year ago and we have brand new systems, maybe we can wait a little longer. If we're at end of life on a system, um, we can kind of schedule going faster. We're also looking, uh, we're starting the app, uh, app rationalization process uh, to understand what is cloud ready and um, what is not so that we can, as we start moving things at headquarters into a AWS environment and a Microsoft environment, um, we can maybe get ahead of the game looking at other applications that we wanna move in the future so that they're cloud ready when it's time to go. Um, but a, a lot of it is looking at what's security posture, where is that application or that service in the lifecycle uh, and then moving it in a a coordinated way, um, hopefully, kind of minimize disruption and to maximize the benefit of the cloud.
1: Sure, and just a quick question on those that may not be cloud-ready. Can applications with time be made cloud-ready, or do you have to just retire some applications, or is it a combination of both?
2: Yeah, all of the above. I mean, that's the easy answer, right? It, it's both. Um, most of the some, – some applications – are very easy to make cloud ready. Some might take a little bit more effort. So it may even be you may just decide, hey, let's retire that and build something new. Um, for the most part, it's uh, with it, some little, a little recoding, a little refactoring. Um, sure. uh, but but we can get them there.
1: And when you do develop them for the cloud in the first place, then you do it in in the sense that they shall yeah. be virtualized from the outset so that they can be much more portable loads, regardless of where they run.
2: Absolutely. We're, we do a lot of kind of just moving at infrastructure as a service. We want to get away from that. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. Using the uh, kind of with the platform as a service, the, the technologies and the capabilities that are inherent to the different cloud environments. And that's some of what we look at too. What is each cloud environment? And I don't want to get into which one does what better. But each cloud environment, and again, we usually talk about, I'd say, the big three, though it's not exclusive to the big three, uh, Google, Amazon, and and Microsoft. They each have um, built-in capabilities that might make an application better, uh, work better in that area. Or if you're building it from scratch, it might be better to build it in one cloud versus the other. But, uh, All right. but yeah, building it cloud-ready from the start or in the cloud is even better than uh, an on-premises moving it.
1: And Brian Merrick of uh, State Department, uh, you're the cloud program management guy. You must have a pretty good handle on getting ready for this whole hyper-converged
3: and portable workload type of idea. Right. So, so as you can imagine, uh, we have a, a very complex business environment. Uh, it's, it's really federated from an IT standpoint. We have 38 different bureaus that, for the most part, do completely disparate business functions. Uh, and... You know, we have posts in 275 locations around the world. Uh, Our user base is over 100,000 folks. So uh, we pretty much have to run the gamut of uh, security risk categorizations, uh, system capabilities, uh, geographic impacts, uh, risk, and, and, and business needs. And so what we've really done from a cloud smart standpoint has really allowed the, the mission space, the business units, to drive where they focus modernization first. Um, obviously, you know, there's a finite amount of resources out there. And so what we found is that generally, uh, you know, our, our mission areas that require real-time processing, um, that need to be able to share data quickly and ubiquitously um, across a large user base, are, are generally the first to adopt uh, cloud. And you know, as many other agencies, we've been in the cloud for years. Um, what we're really doing now is we're trying to rationalize the platform strategy around it. So, I mean, in a nutshell, what we're really trying to do is minimize the number of cloud platforms that we're that we're using, not by vendor, um, but by by providing an enterprise platform that our business units can leverage. So they don't have to duplicate the infrastructure costs, and then allowing you know as many applications as are needed to meet the business need to reside on those platforms, really owned and managed and operated by the business units themselves, and they have their own federated IT folks. So the idea is that we want to push the ownership of the application layer as close to the decision points around the business outcomes as possible, while abstracting the infrastructure and security costs and centralizing that piece of it as much as possible. So it really becomes a win-win for the enterprise. And that's really the approach we're, we're taking. Uh, you know, we definitely have, as, as many others, uh, have a multi-cloud approach from a vendor standpoint. It's critical um, that we use the right tool for the right job. Uh, we, we try to encourage folks to look at, at SaaS and PaaS options first. Um, certainly there are some folks that need to lift and shift their applications into an IaaS environment, uh, perhaps their infrastructure to end of life or their other exigent circumstances. But in general, we don't see a lot of that. Mostly what we see is um, people are entering the cloud to uh, accomplish discrete business objectives. And it's usually around greenfield programmatic requirements or rethinking of how they do their business. And so it's a great change management opportunity to address uh, business process reengineering and and value add to the business in the mission area. So that's what we're really seeing uh, predominantly in in our environment. And I would say that we're making great strides across the board uh, in in each of our mission areas and, and definitely with a focus on the overseas environment. We've got all of our email in the cloud. Um, we've got uh, several uh, workflow and CRM tools that are in the cloud. Uh, and then we're, we're kind of working through with our, our constituent uh, customer bureaus uh, how we can best support their future capabilities moving forward.
1: Okay, and let's move to Jamie Holcomb from US Patent and Trademark Office. Cloud strategy, portability among clouds, that whole interoperability question. What's your strategy for cloud smart?
0: Well, thanks for that question. The USPTO is set out on a large transformation objective. And of course, cloud needs to be part of that strategy. So we've actually taken our whole organization and shifted from project oriented management into product oriented management. And our product teams are making the business decisions on how to move out to the cloud smartly. And that would include not just operations and maintenance, but the refactoring that's been talked about in the prior two speakers. The fact of the matter is you have to figure out if your applications are cloud ready or even cloud capable. Uh, So often it's not. And uh, to refactor the code may be more expensive than the actual business case to go out to the cloud. So you have to consider all those ingress and egress data usage questions, which hereto far just going to the cloud is not in and of itself the best thing. Those data costs, the data usage may actually be more onerous out in the cloud than keeping it internal. So you're gonna to have to make those business case analysis each and every single product team. And based on a better, cheaper and faster You have to do it correctly. And so that's where we're heading as far as our smart strategy goes.
1: So you're not settling for any two of better, cheaper, faster. You want all three.
0: Exactly. Like water. We want it better, cheaper, and faster.
1: (laughs) All right. Good. And let's talk to industry a little bit. Uh, Melvin Greer from Intel Corporation, uh, looking at the federal government and uh, It's pretty big. It's pretty diverse in terms of the missions and agency sizes and technical capabilities. What do you see as their main challenge looking at it as a whole for cloud migration in the next generation past simply email so that agencies can have the agility to move from cloud to cloud with their workloads and not have to have versions for each and every cloud or each and every data center?
4: Yeah, there are a number of challenges. And in fact, we've seen some really great lessons learned with respect to how to move to the cloud smartly. Without question, this discussion about hybrid and multi-cloud strategy is important. I think we've heard a lot about smart cloud as it relates to whether or not we should forklift applications or rebuild applications completely in the cloud. But there is another aspect to smart cloud that we haven't talked about that is really quite important. And agencies are moving to an understanding of the uh, use of the cloud for data storage, and the use of, of data as a data strategy is critically important. And so in many ways, smart cloud not only embodies how to move to the cloud, but how to operationalize the data that's in the cloud. And more specifically, how do we, how do we use cloud computing to help enhance our data science or our data strategy? And then significantly uh, along with that is, can we use cloud computing to drive adoption of artificial intelligence and data science in a way that we haven't before? Can we engage researchers? Can we engage third parties or industry in a way that we haven't before to make the cloud a smart place for people to be in a position to drive data science, data strategy, and AI capabilities? The, The core relationship between the data that's stored in the cloud And the use of cloud for operationalizing mission capabilities can't be understated. Our ability to use that data that's in the cloud is really a fundamental reason why going to the cloud is such a big deal. And the reason we move from cloud first to smart cloud.
1: So in other words, it doesn't have to be a matter of worrying about the expense of pulling data back down if you can process it, use it and it stays within the cloud. Is that part of what you mean?
4: I think that's part of it. Of course, anytime you put something in the cloud, there is a more important consideration about how to get it out. Do you get it out in the format that you put it in there? And can you, can you, can you get it at all? And so the important service level agreements with cloud service providers make that possible. And I think the main point that we want to emphasize here is that the ability to effectively use the data in the cloud of mission capabilities that extend into data science and artificial intelligence is really where the smarts in smart cloud really gets uh, gets, uh, gets really um, bigger and more impactful to mission capability.
1: Okay, thank you. And then let's move to uh, Troy Massey from Iron Bow Technologies. What do you see as the big challenge when you look across agencies, you know, from your standpoint?
5: Yeah, so uh, great questions all the way around so far. Great answers all the way around so far. And, and part of the challenge is we're, we're definitely seeing all of those challenges and what it all comes down to is Really with today's technology, we could move almost everything to the cloud. But the question is, should we. Right. That's the big question. Some data it can go to the clouds. Some data, as Rocky said, can go to one cloud and perform better than in another cloud. So we need to be smart about which cloud it goes to. Some things uh, due to security, due to you know uh, healthcare type data, maybe should never go to the cloud. But one of the biggest answers that was given so far is about egress. So we need to be able to analyze that data that's in that application and see how chatty that application is to see what it's gonna cost for that application to live in the cloud. Now That doesn't mean that it can never go to the cloud. If you have a a data center issue that you need to move stuff to the cloud for a temporary burst, you just need to be aware of that financial uh, implication of that temporary move. But it's about the education of your current environment before you move forward into an environment of a cloud type situation. Rocky hit it on the, on the head with the, the idea of uh, not everything goes to the cloud at first because it just doesn't make economic sense to put something in the cloud you just bought a brand new server for, right? So you talk about the end of life and the support type of servers and move gradually to uh, that in, uh, cloud environment. But there needs to be this relationship the, between going to a commercial public cloud, <clears throat> AWS, Google, and, and Azure were all mentioned, and being able to bring it back down when needed, and be able to bring it to a different cloud when you're not satisfied with the current cloud. So that, that mobility factor is key in a, in, in a successful cloud uh,
1: deployment. So, in the largest sense then, the agency needs to keep control over its own assets in terms of how it deploys them and where it wants to deploy them?
5: They at least need to know the characteristics of each application, each workload.
1: Okay, on that note, we will take a short break. My guests today are Troy Massey, the Director of Enterprise Engagement at Ironbow Technologies. Melvin Greer is the Chief Data Scientist of the Americas at Intel Corporation. Brian Merrick is Director of the Cloud Program Management Office at the Department of State, Rocky Campione, the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Energy, and Jamie Holcomb, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is how a multi-cloud approach can help agencies meet the mission ones, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies, Dell Technologies, Intel Corporation, and VMware, here on Federal
6: News Network. In today's complex world, maintaining continuity of operations is paramount, and key to that continuity is cloud. The change in operating delivers efficiencies, enables automation, and allows for data to be accessed anytime, anywhere. Explore Iron Target by IronBow Technologies, an on-premise private infrastructure that seamlessly integrates into a multi-cloud model, enabling you to manage your entire infrastructure and automate from a consistent set of cloud management tools. Learn more at ironbow.com/irontarget.
1: Welcome back to our panel discussion, How Multi-Cloud Approach Can Help Agencies Meet the Mission, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies, Dell Technologies, Intel Corporation, and VMware here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Brian Merrick, the Director of the Cloud Program Management Office at the State Department. Rocky Campione is the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Energy. Jamie Holcomb is Chief Information Officer at U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Troy Massey, Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies and Melvin Greer, the Chief Data Scientist for the Americas at Intel Corporation. I'm your moderator, Tom temmin And before the break, we were talking about multi-cloud strategy, and I want to delve in a little bit deeper into that, and maybe we'll start with you, Brian, this time. And that is, you have multiple workloads, multiple locations, and multiple clouds, and we need to somehow rationalize all this in our planning processes and and uh, and I think agencies, as we mentioned, would like to have portability of their workloads among different clouds so that you get a cloud agnostic or brand agnostic, if you will, approach to the work gives you greater control. How are you
3: handling all that? So as you can imagine, I mean, it's a, it's a complex environment. And so what we're trying to do is really provide uh, purposefully duplicative options uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, one, we want to make sure that we can meet our bureau customers where they are um, in terms of the, the technology stacks they've already adopted and, and the training and expertise of their existing staffs. Um, in addition, licensing is a major part of the decision on this. And license costs, as some of the other, other guests have talked about, are a major driver. And so um, that does have a, an impact on how we look at where certain workloads live. Uh, in addition to that, um, you know, it, it also depends where, where the data is going to go, how it's going to be used. So we have some of our larger customers that routinely share large amounts of data with other agencies, even other governments. And so uh, for them, their strategies usually revolve around uh, using SAS tools for the facing the UI components and then either leaving their data itself on-prem if, uh, you know, the existing hardware is sufficient or moving that data into low-cost storage that can then uh, be accessed by multiple different SaaS fronts. Uh, By doing that, we we really maintain control over our our core data, but also take advantage uh, of the the functionality and capabilities of some of the other tool sets out there. Um, So it really does um, involve multiple factors in that decision, and each customer is different based on their mission needs and and what they're trying to achieve. So as we work uh, through these problems with our customers, we try to make sure they understand the options, and a big part of our job is to provide the underlying platforms that they can use to do that. And, uh, you know, we try to encourage folks to use SaaS and PaaS and, and serverless as much as possible um, to reduce their, their infrastructure burden and improve their time to market. But they also have to think about the licensing implication of having their data in a highly indexed proprietary system. Uh, so when you do need to share that or move that data, there can be uh, hidden costs in that. So uh, it really does depend on, on the use case. Um, but that's something that, that has been pretty impactful. And we also um, try to encourage folks to think about uh, the data analytics side of, of the use of their data. So especially if they're going to need to use this data uh, for, for AI purposes, we want to make sure that it's clean, uh, that it's mapped to our master reference data files, uh, and that they've got you know, good automated hard stops worked into their application layer so that you reduce the amount of, of bad data that comes in, in the first place that then has to be normalized. Uh, and that's been highly successful in some of our COVID application support requirements that we've done in the last recent months. Um, definitely has kind of moved the needle on how we look at uh, where we move workloads and how we manage the data around those workloads and make good choices about using the right platforms.
1: And just a clarification question about when you mention your customers, you mean the different mission areas. Uh, within the state yes,
3: department. Correct. Right. The different missionaries in, in the state department are internal uh, folks that, that we support.
1: Okay. And uh, Jamie, tell us about your multi-cloud approach and how you control not just the flow, but the cost relative to all of this data movement uh, when you've got, uh, again, far-flung operations pretty much. And, and you've also got officers, examiners, patent examiners, we are all working all over the place. There's no one central location for them either.
0: Yes, we are lucky, in effect, that we do only have one current central location where all of our examiners actually VPN into, and that is Alexandria. So as far as the cloud, it serves as promise, but we're not there yet. So I have the ability to learn from all the great lessons that everyone else is teaching me on how best to move to the cloud smartly. And one of the biggest tenets of our architecture will be preventing lock-in. Now, of course, the providers have the obligation to differentiate on their core business values, and you don't wanna make it a commodity or a utility. So they're going to try to get you as sticky as possible. What you have to do is discern what is a utility versus what is the managed service. And if you can do that effectively, then you can figure out how to transfer between different clouds. Right now, the three clouds that we're considering as primary, although there's many other cloud providers, uh, they've been mentioned before, AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud Platform. I mean, those seem to be the top three that are the largest, and each has its own unique characteristics or services that they provide in a differentiated fashion. The key, I believe, is not to go down the sticky path on any one of them so that you can hold them each accountable. And it's just good business. For every McDonald's, there needs to be a Burger King. For every Hertz, there needs to be an Avis. Oh, wait a minute. We're in COVID. I forgot. I apologize. I apologize.
1: All right, no sign for that one though, right? No. (laughs) Okay. Well, so Rocky, is it just simply a matter then of uh, getting the best SLA you can with a given cloud and you're stuck there, or is there portability and and, uh, interoperability available to you?
2: I I think it depends. I think um, sticky isn't always, sticky is not always bad. Um, sometimes you're willing to accept it because it's just the, the service is the service, but it is something you have to be aware of. Um, I, uh, I talk a lot, I've been at the department about a year now, and I talk a lot about how do we set the table for innovation? Um, and, and this relates to cloud and most of the major vendors are doing the innovation in the cloud first, and then you might get it on premises. Um, new services that get it in that get added in are being added into the cloud versus something you put on premises typically. Um, So what we've been doing over the last year and it'll lead into the next year is setting that table for innovation, which means setting up uh, cloud environments with authorities to operate for um, Microsoft, Google, AWS. Those are kind of the first big three. We're looking at some of the others you know o- Oracle has a cloud I think it's the FedRAMP now we, we'd kind of look at that so you take what's been ramped, then we add on what is our uh, departmental requirements and we we uh, create the cloud environments that are ATO now I think we have the same issue Brian has um, I can't create an agency wide ATO that Los Alamos National Lab would love that Berkeley National Lab would love they have different risk environments they have different missions You know, one deals with nuclear weapons, one's dealing with open science, Um, but by creating uh, kind of standard uh, cloud moderate and in some places cloud high FedRAMP or ATO environments, we allow for the mission to say, which one do I want to choose? But we've also looked at um, different clouds and said, hey, look, we want to standardize as much as possible for this mission on this cloud because it allows us to federate better. Uh, We talk about email and collaboration. Um, We're gonna be 95% in one cloud um, and it just allows us to federate our active directories or or federate our environments better to allow for better communications amongst our national labs, amongst our headquarters and program offices. Um, But in other areas, we might look at a a specific cloud and say, um, they're really strong in one area, uh, around innovation. Um, so like talk about scientific computing as a service and, um, what we want to do with that. And then we work our deals with those. It's not just an SLA. It's actually the procurement process. Um, we just awarded a procurement today to, for Google cloud platform that kind of covers the entire department. But what was unique about it is we work with our national labs that do a lot of scientific computing. Said so what matters to you? Um, And we built that into the contract on the front end. So egress is massively discounted um, because uh, they share around the world. So uh, we might get data in from the Large Hadron Collider in CERN. It might come into our national labs. We might do research with it. We might share data with somebody else. So egress was actually in some ways more important for us from a pricing perspective than maybe some of the other Uh, areas. So we focused on that as an area to get discounts on. Another um, area that we would look at is uh, when you do these large scientific projects that might utilize AI, might, you know, know, you're studying kind of massive problems, you may not know uh, how expensive uh, your computer, how much compute you really are going to need. And if you're buying by the drink, uh, it could eat up your entire budget so we also built into the contract uh, we call them kind of enterprise deals that for specific projects we can bound it and say hey it's going to cost a hundred dollars no matter what and if we only use 90 shame on us and if we use 120 we save the taxpayer a lot of money but for these large scientific projects um, we allow for kind of uh, price stability the ability to budget the ability not to have your compute take up all of your money Um, because it was successful. Um, So we we look at just one, setting the table for innovation, so having multiple clouds that are ATO'd so our mission can make decisions and move between each one as needed. Uh, And then more importantly, what we're looking at now is how do we set up procurements and contract vehicles that focus on how we're gonna use that cloud um, uh, so that uh, it it can help... uh, it can help the mission and help us kind of focus on the areas that make sense versus the areas that I don't care if I get a hundred percent discount on something I'm never going to use. I I'd rather pay full price for that and get a discount on something that matters and can eat up our budgets.
1: Okay. So Troy, I want to ask you, we've heard a lot of uh, what I would call just to distill it down complexity because of the competition among missions. Uh, I say technical competition, not the human competition. And also the need for locations, the need for data all over the place. And I want to back upstream a minute to the application and some of the implications for making sure applications are ready for the cloud. And uh, talk more about the refactoring process. Can that be done in such a way as to result in a almost portable container? that has your application such that when you do refactor for the cloud, you only have to do it once and then you can yeah, meet absolutely. These possible needs.
5: Absolutely. Great question. So let's talk about two different types of applications. One is your, your standard application out there. Let's say it's a, you know, SQL server or Oracle server or whatnot and the ability to bring it to the cloud. Um, back in early cloud adoption, that application needed to be packaged to go to a public cloud. Uh, along with other downfalls of egress and unknowing about how much storage space you need and all that other stuff out there, there was, if you didn't like that cloud provider, you had to pay to get it unpackaged. So there was that hidden cost of if you're not happy, you're going to pay to get happy again. Um, So there's avoiding that repackaging, keeping an application in its native state. You can bring it from one cloud to another or back on-prem if needed, if desired. So that's part of the goal. The other part that's a lot trickier is legacy applications. So we all have environments like this where we've built entire uh, uh, networks around this system that was some homegrown application that can't live off of a modern uh, OS, can't live off of modern hardware. So we sit and we leave this environment untouched and we pray that it never goes down because the hardware built that it's built on was built like 10 years ago and they don't make it anymore. So we just cross our fingers, that's never gonna go down. So the idea is to be able to refactor that application to decouple it from the hardware and be able to move it into a cloud ready state. Now, I I think it was Jamie mentioned earlier, sometimes that can be very, very expensive So there's that cost analysis, do you you recode something or do you refactor it? And and that has to be part of the process, but the end goal needs to be that that is a portable application.
1: Okay, and uh, then let's back up one more step, uh, Melvin, and that is to the data layer here. And we've also heard about the need for data in multiple locations. And then there's also the phenomenon that in the drive to have more evidence-based decision-making in, federal government, in the federal government, and that's actually the law of the land, whether agencies are there or not, but it is statutory and regulatory requirement, and so on. So often analysis requires multiple applications to, to access multiple databases. And so how does that all get translated into some cogent way, cost-wise and technically in, in multiple cloud and hybrid environments?
4: it's really interesting because we've we've been talking about moving to the cloud as if, as if it's a single entity that we're moving to but uh, thoughtful managers like the ones here uh, in agencies recognize we have four deployment models we have three service models in cloud and so these nuances they really are what are the criteria that helps us understand what kind of capabilities we actually want to operationalize in the cloud Uh, the cloud architects that work at agencies are really answering three basic questions. The first one is what mission capability do I need to operationalize? Is this a internal mission capability that doesn't require external interfaces or external stakeholders? Is it uh, the the nature of the mission such that I am not doing highly sensitive and highly confidential capabilities, and that I can expose this function to a a public audience, this might lend itself to a hybrid multi-cloud that includes public cloud capabilities. Uh, But if we have more sensitive uh, mission capability, if it's extended, uh, like uh, was mentioned with Brian, uh, around the globe, and if it requires the kind of real-time response and actionable intelligence that, that sometimes is required in, in state and energy and in and, and USPTO, then we might require a different deployment model and a different service model. So there, these are all nuances that help drive the decision-making and require us to be more thoughtful. This, the second question is really the one that hits on what you asked, which is, what type of data am I actually going to be putting in the cloud? Am I gonna be putting data that's highly volatile? Am I gonna be using data that is more public as opposed to private? Am I doing recruiting and training on data and as opposed to a a core mission capability around uh, emerging science? Am I engaging data that is coming primarily from universities on advanced research in mechanical science or in chemical science or in neuroscience? Or am I pushing data out to uh, the agency members that have to do their core functions? Data has characteristics and each workload can have a fundamentally different way of operating in the cloud. And so what type of data is the second question. And then third is who do I really need to engage? And in some ways, what we're finding is is that many agencies are doing a one-way push with their data, some agencies are doing a pull only <laughs> from the cloud for their data, and some agencies are doing its two-way, this conversation and dialogue uh, with their data. And so depending on who they need to engage and how they need to engage going forward, it will have a fundamental impact on what cloud deployment model and what service model that the agency chooses. So these agency leaders are very thoughtful when it comes to how they're gonna pick uh, hybrid multi-cloud options, how they're going to extend the security model from the enterprise into those options, and how they're going to be able to interact with and engage their stakeholders, and what type of data is really gonna be required to do so.
1: Well, Mr. Greer, you've given us about six more variables here to add into this, uh, this calculation for cloud movement. And so on that note, we'll take a short break. My guests today are Melvin Greer, the Chief Data Scientist of the Americas at Intel Corporation. Troy Massey is the Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies. Jamie Holcomb is the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. We've heard from Rocky Campione, the Chief Information Officer at the Energy Department, and Brian Merrick, the Director of the Cloud Program Management Office at the State Department. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is how a multi-cloud approach can help agencies meet the mission. Sponsored by Ironbow Technologies, Dell Technologies, Intel Corporation, and VMware.
6: You're on Federal News Network. We'll be right back. As agencies are mandated to play cloud smart, public cloud may not be the best option, and building a private cloud isn't the most cost-effective long-term solution. Explore multi-cloud with Iron Target from Iron Bow Technologies. Meet cloud mandates, virtualize legacy apps, improve availability with options for co-op and disaster recovery, and achieve cost and performance optimization with Iron Target. Strong, flexible, targeted. Iron Target from Iron Technologies. Visit ironbow.com/irontarget.
1: Welcome back to our panel discussion, how a multi-cloud approach can help agencies meet the mission, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies, Dell Technologies, Intel Corporation, and VMware here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Brian Merrick, the Director of the Cloud Program Management Office at the State Department. Rocky Campione is the Chief Information Officer at the Energy Department. Jamie Holcomb is Chief Information Officer at U.S. Patent and Trademark. And Troy Massey, Director of Enterprise Engagements at IronBow Technologies. And Melvin Greer, the Chief Data Scientist of the Americas at Intel Corporation. And Brian, something you said earlier uh, caught our interest, and that is the COVID or the pandemic effects have had not just a social, but also a pretty big technological effect on a lot of federal agencies, especially as they move to this hybrid environment. And now nothing is on premises, neither the data, nor the applications, nor the people So in some sense, so uh, elaborate on that, the COVID effects on this whole cloud migrations and what are some of the variables that it brings to the whole equation?
3: Sure, Uh, so, you know, as you can imagine being global and COVID hitting different host locations at different times, uh, you know, that definitely created uh, a lot of challenges in the agency to share information and and to continue working. Our, Our mission is critical, we can't stop. Uh, and so, you know, within a two-week period, 85% of our agency started teleworking full-time. And just to put that in perspective, I mean, uh, most of our folks culturally are into the last three feet. That's how diplomacy works. Uh, so this was a major cultural shift and a technology shift. Uh, and so what we found was that a lot of the legacy applications and, and ways of doing things, wet signatures on memos, just became untenable because you couldn't physically get to it. So it really shed a light on the need to modernize and to rethink how we do business. And so there's been a renewed interest in increasing mobility, um, issuing out more mobile devices. Uh, you know, we're using proxy servers to get at a lot of our on-prem uh, application workloads. and That's certainly not optimal. So there, there's definitely a renewed interest in those things that were just good enough to be on-prem before, but now that you can't really get to them well, uh, you know, they definitely need to, to rethink how we actually access that information. Um, and then the next challenge is going to be hitting really, at least domestically, Uh, is that as uh, people start to go back to work, we're still going to have quite a few folks in the workforce that remain teleworking or mostly teleworking, while we also have folks that are on-prem still relying on our traditional network and desktop infrastructure and whatnot. And so the the challenge we're running to now is supply chain around getting uh, cameras, uh, mobile devices uh, at scale, how we're going to manage that um, across the enterprise and and shift uh, those resources. And then how we're going to make sure that the people that are working on cloud platforms for collaboration remotely can also interact with folks that are back in the office who may not always have access to that because of the secure locations they're sitting in. So it, it really is bringing all of the policy considerations and, and the sort of work-life convergence uh, realities of, of where we are with COVID now sharply into in focus. And so uh, our agency is really moving forward in terms of addressing that by relooking how we're managing technology, the types of, of uh, hardware and, and endpoint devices we're putting out there, um, the way we're, we're looking at what types of workloads should really be in the cloud, uh, you know, even though we might have traditionally looked at it before from a, a nor- normal cost basis or end-of-life basis, um, certainly the accessibility basis is now becoming one of the primary drivers in some of these workloads.
1: Sure. And is that true also at Energy, Rocky, where you've got a lot of federated components there? Yes.
2: Yeah, no, it's, um, I think the first thing I want to talk about here is when we moved into a maximum telework environment, we were blessed that over the last three years our now secretary, but then as deputy secretary, and my predecessor, uh, Max Everett, had spent a good bit of time improving business processes within the department, not just at headquarters, but across the, the the um, complex. So we moved very rapidly into a maximum telework environment and our findings were in some places uh, even more efficient in a telework than we might've been in an on-premises environment. Um, but then also, I think as Brian would uh, has alluded to, there are some of our missions that just have to happen on-premises. Um, but what we've learned when we're talking about cloud is one of the benefits of cloud is you can move data closer to where it needs to be. Um, not everybody, uh, so that you can have a speed of access. Um, you Not everybody has to kind of come back to the central location. But our architecture right now with TIC, everybody comes into the department, then goes back out, out to the cloud. And um, we're just finding that some of the ease of use and speed really isn't there. Uh, we were very blessed that uh, our senior leadership and uh, our appropriators uh, helped fill that gap in a supplemental where they gave us money to help move from a tick 2.0 to its kind of tick 3.0 environment in a zero trust environment. So that as we roll that out, we can get folks to their data safely in a, um, in a more efficient manner. So um, we're finding that uh, one of the benefits of cloud uh, that we never really realized before COVID was that ability to have data close to where you need it um, uh, and, and more easily accessible. Um, what we're doing now is making sure that we have the architects and the security in place so that we can do that. And that's through um, a number of different initiatives, but one mainly being kind of zero trust, um, kind of under that TIC 3.0 heading.
1: Yeah, so Jamie, we've heard of both architectural considerations, application considerations, and cybersecurity requirements have been altered by the whole pandemic work situation also at USPTO well i'm happy to report
0: that we really didn't have a miss in step at all uh my experience is a lot different than the other speakers because we had such a large workforce that already telecommuted so of our 13000 employees 8000 or so our examiners, and we had established a telework program in the 2011 time frame where they were all able to work out of their homes. So as serendipity would have it, in the January time frame, we were getting ready to go to the cloud, and so we doubled our bandwidth in order to move the large data sets that we were anticipating. Well, as luck had it, we were ready to go and scaled up. So, we went from 18,000 to 14,000 simultaneous VPN connections overnight. We did have to scale up our uh, licenses and we had to, of course, put more hardware in some of our server clusters. But overnight, we were able to accommodate and were able to not miss a step. So much so that our productivity numbers for examiners, which we measure as part of our fees. We're not a taxpayer-funded agency. We get our uh, money from the fees we collect. Anyway, our productivity metrics for turnover and uh, acceptance, rejections, awards, everything is through the roof. And that's because no one is taking vacation. So it's an amazing thing. We kept on going. It's a little different because of our mission.
1: All right, I guess if you need money from a revolving fund, go see Jamie, perhaps. (laughs) But uh, Troy... I'll talk to you tomorrow, Jamie. Yeah. Troy, what do you see uh, in terms of the cybersecurity effects as this pandemic-related atomization maybe hit what activities agencies were already engaged in with respect to the refactoring and the the general motion toward the cloud that's getting to be more and more related to the mission-critical applications?
5: Yeah, security is definitely a, a key conversation in w- what we talk about when, you know, Brian and, and uh, Rocky had mentioned keeping the data close to the, the end user, and the end user is now a remote u- user. Um, and what classification of data is he he or she needing? And so uh, there's been developments to where now you can actually get a virtual desktop to your home presenting Cipernet. Now I retired out of the Air Force. That was something we did behind a cipher lock door and we locked our hard drive in the safe when we were done. So that type of technology is amazing. The other key that we need to, uh, this is like uh, factor number 25 of, of multi-cloud analysis is, uh, what happens when we all go back to work? So if we talk about yesterday, which was January, um, everybody was talking about the, the cloud initiative but COVID wasn't an issue and the remote user wasn't a conversation that we had about this. Today, remote user is very critical. We need the data close to the user, so that becomes critical. What happens when COVID's over or controlled and people start returning to work, we need to implement a design that works now and is not software, when we return to work. So that design needs to be very, very mobile in a a way that gets the data where the user is, which is hopefully back in the office.
1: Okay. And uh, Mr. Greer, data, uh, again, that's kind of your specialty. And is there, is there an effect from, I mean, the pandemic has given rise to huge data analysis activities related to itself, but has it had an effect, do you think on the architectures and the way agencies should approach all of their, cloud data management?
4: It absolutely has. And what I can tell you is that Intel has taken a two-pronged approach when it comes to this pandemic. Clearly on the internal side, we were more like Jamie. We had a lot of folks who were already doing work from home and taking advantage of virtual desktop and being able to do uh, VPNs into our internal network. We certainly were able to quickly ramp up to extend our security posture. To all of these remote users and provide global round-the-clock access to our networks in a secure way. But the thing I think I'm most proud of uh, around Intel's response to the COVID pandemic was the external things we did. So within three days we were able to stand up a cloud-based data lake for uh, lots of data around virus research, the synthetic biology capabilities and tools and methods that would be needed to be deployed in order to build a virus and a remediation to the the virus, the ability to engage our entire ecosystem in a cloud-based set of initiatives focused on our pandemic response technology initiative. We funded about $50 million into this initiative. So we're quite excited about the sharing of our technology to folks in, in the cloud, and so this external piece has been has really been something amazing to see.
1: All right. And in about the minute that we have left, Brian, I'm going to throw it to you. And given all the ground you've covered with cloud deployment, just give us the lessons learned in the 60-75 uh, the second version.
3: Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is, is everyone needs to realize that the cloud just doesn't work the way on-prem does. Um, and it's really critical to have, highly trained expert folks on your teams uh, working on it. And you definitely need to have a, a strategy and approach on when you're going to use what tool so you can use the, the right tool for the right job and understand your data and understand your mission. And uh, by, by kind of guiding off that, it's going to make it a lot easier to make smart choices about how you leverage technology to, to have a mission outcome.
1: So it sounds like you're prepared really for the next wave of uh, cloud deployment with some of the spaces that you've had until
3: now. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's moving forward exponentially. And what we're really doing now is, is moving into more product focus. Uh, as one of the, the earlier speakers said, and we're, we're really engineering the re-engineering the way we manage IT across the enterprise uh, from an automation standpoint. So a lot of exciting things are coming out of this time as difficult as it's been. Uh, but yeah, the, the pace of change is just exponentially increasing right now.
1: Okay, on that note, I want to thank today's guests. Brian Merrick is the Director of the Cloud Program Management Office at the State Department. Rocky Campione is the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Energy. Jamie Holcomb is the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Troy Massey, Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies. And Melvin Greer, the Chief Data Scientist of the Americas at Intel Corporation. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Iron Bow.
0: Thank you for listening to the discussion how a multi cloud approach can help agencies meet the mission. Sponsored by Iron Bow Technologies, Dell Technologies, Intel Corporation, and VMware on Federal News Network.